Hey, you're listening to the Love Fiercely podcast. My name is Keila Craft Ambrose. This is a place to grow, be inspired, and to go deeper in the things of God. I hope you enjoy this episode. I hope you guys said some questions that you really have because I told Chop, I was like, I'd love to answer them live if I can. Thank you. So hopefully you asked some great stuff. I'm going to look at it at the end and choose some. But if you're taking notes, which leaders are not just readers, they're note takers, right? So, because if you hear something and you're like, that applies to my life, you want to remember it because it's not from me, it's from God for you. So, hopefully, if you need some notes, they have notes for you right now. But if you're writing notes, the title of my message is The Facts of Life. And I have four points for you, and I'm kind of going to go through some of this pretty quick because I want to give time for your questions. But um, I think in life we hear a lot of things about facts or life, (laughs) whether that's from the news or from our Instagram feed. Some of the greatest news I get is from Facebook. People are like, what, you're still on Facebook? Yeah, just for the random articles and anonymous articles that I like to read. I don't know. Does anyone else read anonymous articles? No? Do you guys know who anonymous is? (laughs) What? Okay. This is not biblical. You should probably know who they are because it's pretty cool. Okay. Anyways, thank you, Tyler. So I like to read articles and I like to watch animal videos. So that's why I'm on Facebook. That's the truth. So, um, but you know, we hear a lot of facts that come in or we think that we know truth that comes in because a lot of times we accept things as truth because it seems believable, right? Like you wouldn't be like, that's true. Like, I don't know if you ever felt that way, but I feel that way a lot. I'm like, oh, that's true. Like I'll see a quote from like, I don't know, real talk him. <laughs> and I'll be like, dang, I wish I could say that. That's true. Some of the guys are like, who is real talk him? It's, it's a lady. Um, so, but we hear a lot of like facts of life and they're mostly negative. I don't know about you, but most of the things I hear from social media are on my TV, which I don't even watch the news. I just read what's selective for me because I don't want to hear random bad news. I'd rather keep my world happy but still know what's going on when I want to. So there's a lot of like negative things that come out. You know, we're always about, did you hear what happened to John? Oh my gosh. Did you hear what Lucy did? Like it's always about something going on that's not necessarily positive. And we're kind of fueled by that. And I wanted to address what are some of the facts of life? What really matters in our life? Because all of us face questions in life that are universal. I don't care how old you are. I don't care if you're 18 or you're 35 or 40. I don't care if you're married, single, want to be married. I don't know. Wherever you find yourself in life, we all have these universal questions that we want answered. And a lot of times you feel like people circle around answering the question. They don't really just tell you the facts. So we're just going to talk about some basic facts that are universal for all of us. And the first one, some of these may seem like really churchy, but they're not. So just hang with me here. The first one is, you are loved unconditionally. I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes I wonder if I can do something bad enough or get myself into a situation that's worse enough that other people are going to reject me or stop loving me. Or maybe God will think I'm not worth his time. Or maybe I can actually take myself out of the love of God because of what I've done. And the thing I want to tell you is 
When I say you're loved unconditionally, that means without conditions. So I don't know if you, if you have ever felt this way, and since this is kind of like a universal thing, and this isn't like a touchy-feely sensitive thing, so if you have that in your mind, just throw it off, because if you know anything about life languages, my responder is a seven. I'm working on it. It's my lowest one. So I'm not saying this to be touchy-feely or sensitive for you. I think for me, though, I've had thoughts like, am I worth loving? Or, you know, we don't like to admit this, but my love has limits. Does anyone else, like, your love has limits? Okay, and that's okay sometimes because you value yourself and you know that you should be treated a certain way. <laughs> okay? And if somebody really loves you, they're going to treat you that way, right? Not just like an expectation you have, but like there's pretty standard things that people do when they love you, right? And I'm the kind of person that I've personally been cheated on by every guy that I've ever been with except for my current husband. Thanks, Cole. Um, keep it that way. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he will. Anyways. I've been lied to, I've been treated badly, I've found myself as second choice or worse, more than I would like to admit. I've personally been taken advantage of and abused. And some of you guys can find yourself in some of those categories because we haven't always been treated right. So a lot of times we could put into question how God feels about us or how we are loved based on what other people have shown us. And the truth is, is that God's not like any man or any woman or any person that you've experienced because his love has no limits and he chose you before you could ever choose him back and he still chooses you even when you don't choose him. And so let me just kind of remind you of a few scriptures because God's very nature is love and he loves us because it's his nature and his character to love us. So God can't go against his own nature. Like me and my natural self, I'm like, you do me wrong, bye. Like, I don't have time for that. Life is only so long, right? So here are some scriptures that show us how much God loves us. So in the Bible, it already says God is love. If you don't know love, you don't know God because God is love. Like, how would you like for someone to be like, I don't know, I'm trying to think, like, another name out there. I saw Robert whenever I walked in, so I'll say Robert. What if someone was like, Robert is love? Whoa. Okay. What about if they were like, Roshana is love? Okay. Like, that sounds kind of touchy-feely, but what does that mean? Love is action. Love's not a feeling. Love is not, like, something that's romantic that you do for somebody or, like, I gave you roses. Shouldn't you know you're loved? Love takes action, and in John 3.16, we all know this scripture. If you know this scripture, say it with me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Okay, so let's just break this down for a second. For God so loved the world that he gave. Just think about this for a second, because this challenged me. What do you so love God like that you give? What do you so love others like that you give? Because if you love, it leads you to action. And what you can know about God 
is that he's never stopped and will never stop taking actions towards you of love. He didn't just die, like send his son to die on the cross. He's like, well, that's it. You should know now. Figure it out. He bled once. Yeah, you can't see the holes in his hands, but one day you will. No, like, I don't know about you, but I found myself in so many scenarios where, where I know I shouldn't be experiencing the love of God. In the middle of sin, in the middle of doing something wrong, in the middle of finding myself just being rebellious, all of a sudden, God will love me, and I feel like so undeserving. And the enemy tries to use that love against you to make you feel like, well, you're not enough anyways. God doesn't love you because you're enough. He loves you because he's love. And it's his nature. So the next scripture, I'm going to go through these really quick. In Romans 5, 6 through 8, I'm just going to kind of paraphrase. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, he died for us. John 15, 13, greater love has no man than this than for someone to lay down his life for his friends. John, 1 John 4, 9 through 10, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this love, not that we have found, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as appropriation for our sins, which means like basically as a replacement. So here's the deal. Just think about this for a second. I'm trying to like make you think about this because we're supposed to be like Jesus. So if we're loved unconditionally, what are you doing in your life that because God so loved you, that you have a response towards him. Because I'm just thinking in my life, there's so many people that don't deserve my love. Like anybody else feel that way? Like there's so many times the closest people to me hurt me or frustrate me or let me down. And my response doesn't like want to be love. But because we've been loved, we should love. Right, And I want to remind you, anytime the enemy tries to tell you, you're not worth it, nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, that actually is contradictory to the truth. Because if you're unconditionally loved, that means it has no end. It means that there's nothing you can do. It means that you could go to hell and God would still love you exactly the same as if you were going to heaven. So just remember... When you're walking, when you're making decisions, when you're thinking about yourself, what you've done, what you could have done, what you should have done, remember, I'm still loved by God. So even if people reject you, even if people walk away from you, it doesn't change the fact that you're loved. The thing that I've had to remind myself of constantly is you may leave me, you may abuse me, you may take advantage of me, but I'm still loved. Because it's how my creator made me to be loved because that's his nature. So no one should be able to change the fact that you're loved. You may feel unloved by somebody, but you're still loved. Fact of life, okay? So, but one of the things I want to just say about this, because this is a part of it that some people don't like to talk about, because God does have conditions for an eternal relationship with him. He states that there's this one condition, which if you know, you've probably said a prayer here or somewhere else, but it says in the Bible that you have to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. And when you do that, he forgives your sins and you have eternal life with your creator. So just because you're loved doesn't necessarily mean that you're going in the right direction. So we all have a choice to make when God loves us. So you're loved unconditionally, but there is a condition to how close you are with God. Something my dad always says to us <laughs> because he refers to this with parenting, is he says, God loves everybody, but he's not endeared to everybody. 
Is God endeared to you? I want God to be endeared to me. How, are, how is God endeared to you? You want relationship with him. You can't know somebody or be intimate without relationship. And that relationship leads to everlasting life, right? But we don't love because for the eternal life. We love because he loved us first. It's a response to what he's already done. So you don't have to figure it all out. You just have to know, number one, you're loved. The Bible says love leads people to repentance. What does that mean? Repentance means not like you're so bad. It means turning from your ways. I don't want to go my way. God, I want your way. I want to experience more of your love. Second fact is you were created for great things. Have you ever, like, thought about what you're good at? Sometimes I've been really discouraged in my life because I'm not really good at anything. I'm just, like, kind of good at a lot of things. Has anyone ever been there? Like, I can kind of paint, maybe. Uh, I can kind of sing. Um, I don't know. I can kind of do makeup. I don't know, whatever you kind of do good things at. But, like, I think about, like, I can kind of do that, but I'm not, like, a champion in anything. So sometimes I get discouraged because I think, you know, I see people around me, and I'm like, but they're, like, really good at that. Like, my sister has always been a really, really great singer and worship leader. And I'm like, people are like, do you sing too? I'm like, yeah, like, so sometimes. <laughs> I can do it, you know? But I'm not, like, the best. I, like, feel like I have to, like, quantify it or qualify it. <laughs> Has anyone else ever been there before where you're like, why am I not just like really good at something? Like, can I just be good at something? But I want to encourage you because you were created for great things. God has great things for us, but they may not look like you thought or happen how you think they should. And that's where I've gotten really frustrated in my life at times because I'm like, well, God, if you have great things for me, like, make this happen. <laughs> I want to be a millionaire. Make it happen, God. And he's like, I can't trust you with $5. I just spin it on makeup. I don't know. Whatever makeup you can buy for $5, chapstick. So <laughs> I think my husband just said amen. Anyways, so no matter how your life has looked, I don't know. No matter how your life has looked, it's the good stuff. Or what you've been through or even how you've grown up, God has great things for you. And in Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So God created you to do great things. Yes. He's already prepared it in advance, but we have to choose to get on board and do the great things. Sometimes we think, well, it would be great if I was famous. Well, it would be great if I could have 100,000 followers. It would be great if I could be rich. It would be great if I could find my spouse now. And we think that we're not living our best life or in the greatness of God because our focus is not what God wants us to have in this season. And so we think we're failing instead of recognizing we were created for great things. What's my focus? God, what do you want me to focus on? What do you have for me right now? Not what do I want right now? Because you're going to feel like you're missing it and get discouraged. And I've said this in young adults before, but the enemy doesn't have to destroy you if he can distract you. If he can make you think you're missing out in this season, you'll never live up to what God's called you to do or to ever receive what he has for you in the fullness. So when God created you, he put a part of himself in you. We talk about this in this church as his 1%, okay? This divine glory that's just for you, that's shown in your fingerprint. There's a different part of God for you in this world and in his kingdom that nobody else has. And if you don't fulfill it, no one else will. 
because it's unique and divine for you to do. So if God's called us to do great things, we have to think about, okay, I'm not going to focus on the weaknesses I have. I'm not going to focus on what's not working. I'm going to not settle for mediocrity because God created me for greatness. So get out of the relationship that you know is not great. Because if it's not great, it's not what God has for you. Don't just stay in a friendship because you think they're funny. I've been there. I like being around this person. They're funny. But they're not moving me forward. My alignments are important. God's created me for greatness. I love that person. I'm going to love that person. But I don't have to be in alignment with that person. I don't have to spend my time because you only have so much time on the earth. Now, you might not feel like your job is the greatest thing you could ever have, but if you can make your position great where you are, God will bring more greatness and more opportunities into your life. Like I said, if he can't trust you with what you have now, why would he ever give you more? Sometimes we get frustrated with God and we're like, God, why haven't you brought this relationship? God, why haven't you brought this opportunity? God, why do I keep going through this over and over again? Maybe we're not learning the lesson we need to learn so that we can receive what God has for us because he can't trust us with it. So if when God created the earth, you think about how intentional that was. He put seeds into the earth, okay, so that one plant didn't just grow. And then it was like, well, that plant died. That was it. No, (laughs) there's like a continual seeds that are planted out of those lives, out of those seeds. And it's the same thing in our life. There's seeds inside of you that you haven't seen come to fruition, that you haven't seen happen yet. But what happens whenever we have seeds? It talks about in Isaiah 55 how God's word is like the rain and the snow that causes seeds to germinate and spring forth into their destiny. Part of the reason that many of us don't realize that we carry seeds of greatness is because we've had so many negative things happen to us. And we've taken them on as our reality instead of understanding that that's not the reality that God sees. God's plans and purposes or seeds of greatness in our lives become buried or they become dormant and waiting for the right words of life to germinate them into action. The seed to grow needs a source of a beginning, okay? The seed, every seed has potential, good and bad seeds. Every seed has a life, and it can survive against all odds. No matter how small, the productivity of the seed does not depend on the size of the seed. So you may feel like you've only been given a little bit, but God can do more through the little that you have than someone's big. So before a seed can really germinate and grow, the conditions have to be right. In Psalms 1, 1 through 3, we say this at the end of church when you get blessed out. It says, those who listen to God's word and allow his way to lead them shall become like trees planted beside waters, and everything that they will do will prosper. Your destiny contains greatness, and God designed you that way. So if you ever believe something that the enemy is saying to you that's contradictory to that, you need to realize, well, what is the truth? God wouldn't create a mess up. You weren't a mistake. No matter what your parents or your friends said, it says that God created you in your mother's womb. He says that he has a hope and a future for you. So what that shows me is there are seeds of greatness inside of you. And we are the only one that can make that greatness not happen. The enemy can't stop it. People can't stop it. We are the only ones that can stop that greatness from happening. So that's challenging to me to go, I don't want to stop the greatness of God from coming out in my life. Until you allow the word of God and the presence of God to water the seeds of greatness in your life, they will lie in wait dormant the word the world is desperate and they are in need of the good fruit that God intends for you to produce 
You know, there's so many people in this room that God has great things for you that you can't even imagine. Well, how do you figure out what they are? Number one, you spend time with him. Number two, you learn about who he is and what he says, and then you see it in action in your life. When you start seeing it in action in your life, he starts to give you glimpses into the future. You start getting words from him, and then you don't just hang on to the word. You actually live the word, and you see it happen. So many people that I know, they're waiting for a word from God. They're waiting for a prophetic word, for someone to call them out and be like, "Mm, you, Sarah, stand up. God has a great call in your life, and he's going to do this. And you're like, oh, thank God. God's telling you that all the time. You're just not listening. When you walk into Target, hallelujah, he's like, let me tell you something about your life. Let me tell you about how that alignment right there is going to move you forward. Let me tell you how that one's going to move you backwards. A lot of times we're just not listening. In Genesis 1, 26 to 28, it says, God created man for a purpose. God created and designed man to be great. God created man to be fruitful and multiply. There is no greatness without fruitfulness. Fruit indicates greatness. If you don't have fruit in your life, you're not living in the greatness of God. And if you're frustrated because something isn't happening or moving in your life, maybe you're not aligned right. Maybe you're not watering yourself with the right things. Many times people complain about criticism or they complain about how things aren't working out in their life, but they're not doing the things that they know they should do. And if you were doing the things that you know you should do, it would silence every critic in your life because you have results. Critics can't argue against results. They can still hate you, but they can't hate on your results. Three, you're not alone. I have felt alone in my life a lot. And I've asked God about that a lot. I felt very different in my family. I felt very different in the people around me. I felt isolated at times. I felt like no one understands me. And I'm pretty sure everyone else has felt that way in this room at some point. And yet the enemy continues to lie to us and saying, you're the only one that feels this way. No one else has ever been through what you've been through. No one else is going to understand what you're going through. And he tries to isolate you so that you never realize that God wants to use what the enemy's trying to isolate you over. And the things that end up hurting you, God wants to use to heal other people, but he can't do that until you realize it's a weapon against the enemy, not you. So, you know, I felt alone so much in my life. I felt misunderstood, judged. I found myself in dark places when I knew no one else would help me out of it. I've been through times and things in life where I was so isolated and it made me feel like an outsider. I felt judged, and yet I've realized I was never alone. You know, the Bible talks about how God stands at the door and he knocks. I've said this before too, but I see a picture of a door and we have the handle on our side. It's not just because God's such a gentleman and he's not going to push in the door. It's because we have to take the action to let him in. We have to choose because we're not robots. We have to choose, God, I want your power when I'm weak. God, I want your way. I feel alone. Guess what? There's someone sitting there going, hey, let me in. I'm here for you. I'm right here. Hello, hello. But yet we want someone who's attractive, possibly, because that's just in our brains, to come and be like, I love you. You're not alone. I understand you out of anyone else in the world. We're made for each other. But yet we don't spend time hearing from the person who created us and knows us best. So I want to just give you a perspective here in Luke 22. You know, Jesus is, he withdrew from the disciples and he's praying to God because he's about to die on the cross. And he's alone. No one else understands what he's going through except for God. 
And what I'll tell you is no one else will understand exactly what you're going through except for God. And if you wait for other people to understand, you're going to constantly be disappointed. Because God's the only one that knows what he's going to do with your life. He's the only one that can give you a right perspective on it. Sometimes we want people to agree with us and encourage us instead of tell us the truth. And God can do all of it. Encourage you, tell you the truth, and help you. That's a three in one. And here in Luke 22, we hear Jesus, and he's talking to his dad. Just think about this for a second. I've felt this way with my dad before, where he wants me to do something, and I really don't want to do it, and that's what we see here. And he's like, God, Dad, if you could, let this cup pass for me. I don't want to drink this cup. Like, (laughs) do you realize even Jesus was struggling with doing what he knows God needed him to do? It's okay that you struggle, but at the end of the scripture, let me tell you what he says. Not my will, but yours be done. A lot of times we feel alone and we stay feeling alone because we're on let my will be done, not yours, God. This isn't my plan. So you stay isolated and the enemy keeps getting to mess with you because you never get to the point of going, not my will, but yours be done, God. And you don't release it, so you just stay alone. But the key here and the reason why what Jesus did was so amazing is not because he was forced into it, but because he willingly laid his life down. Can you willingly lay what you want down and let God put his perspective on it? Let God put his hand on it. Let God bless you. Let God do it. Not have to make it your way. We all have control issues. I don't know if you realize that. You might be like, no, I don't. I'm chill. No, you have a control issue. And you'll see, it doesn't matter. You might think you can trust God, but there will be something in your life that makes you go, uh, I don't want to give that to God. <laughs> if it hasn't happened, it will at some point. <laughs> We all have trust issues, and we need to work on it. And even Jesus had to make the decision to follow God's will. If you notice, and I'm coming to a close here, if you notice, every superhero pretty much has a sidekick. You can think of them in your brain, but they pretty much do. And they're kind of like just following around the person, right? They're like, hey, Batman. You know, and they, they're kind of like, they look like not as powerful, right? They don't have as cool of uniforms. Like the sidekick never has the coolest uniform. I don't know if you ever realize that. They don't have the gadgets. They're like, I have this stone. I could throw at you. Like, Batmobile, fly. Like, it's like, ooh. I don't know. I just feel like sidekicks, they don't have everything, right? But if you think about us, okay, Jesus didn't have a sidekick. He was the sidekick. God was the hero. And if you think about it, in every single hero story, for the most part, at some point the hero gets in trouble and the sidekick has to save the hero. You following me? And what I think about is I think about how the sidekick has been watching the hero this whole time, following the hero. So what happens when the hero's in trouble? They've seen what the hero has done, and they do that. And if they didn't save the hero, the rest of the world wouldn't be saved. And I think about how for us, You know, Jesus had the disciples, and he had three that he really liked, okay? But they still didn't make the cut, but he was like, I'm still going to use you. And I think about how we have Jesus to follow, but how often in our life are we not following him closely enough to where we know what to do in situations in our life? And instead of being equipped, we feel alone because we haven't been following the hero. So we don't know what our part is, but we have a great example to follow, You know, in Isaiah um, 41 and 43, there's a few different scriptures, but it says, don't be afraid because I have saved you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. 
And it goes on. Isaiah 41, because I am with you, don't be afraid. Because I am your God, I will make you strong and I will help you. I will support you with my right hand that saves you. I am the Lord your God who holds your right hand. I tell you, don't be afraid, I will help you. 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9 and 16 through 18 talks about we all have troubles around us, but we are not defeated. We know what to do, but we do not give up the hope of living. We are persecuted, but God does not leave us. We are hurt, but we are not destroyed. We will not give up. You will lose sight of what God is and can do for you if you focus on what things look like right now. You will lose sight of who God is and what God can do for you if you focus on what things look like right now. Because it's easy to look like in the flesh and go, well, this job's not working out. This relationship's not working out. What I want's not working out. But what is God's plan? Have you talked to him about that? Because the breakdown, the breakup, the blow up might be a part of God's plan. And you'll never see it if you're focused on what it looks like. So this leads me to the last point, which is number four. You have a choice to make with what you have been freely given. We've been given love. We've been given someone who never leaves us, and we've been given greatness. And we have the opportunity, and we need to get real about it. What are we doing with it? Because I know for me there's areas of my life where I'm not being as faithful as I could. I'm not honoring God with all of my life. But I know I'm loved, and I still question it. I've seen God prove it to me over and over. I have this breath right now (sighs) that I didn't pay a price for. I can ask God at any point to forgive me when I mess up, and he will. I can call on his power when I'm weak, and yet I don't. Instead, I just get angry or frustrated. And I don't follow his example well. I do my own thing because it feels better to my flesh. So we have this one life, this one chance to be who God's created us to be. But this life doesn't end on the earth. Not everything is easy in the life that we live. And it will not be easy. Somehow we think, I'm going to become a Christian and my life will be better. That's true because you're never alone. And it's true because you're not doing it in your own strength. And it's true because you have a hope and a future. Not because you're never going to face hard times. But the greatest thing that we've been given by God, we don't have to work for. We just have to receive it. And too often we take for granted that we have God's love and that he fights for us and that he gave us this breath that we have and the possibility of a great future and that we're never alone. And that we have free will and that God helps us even when we don't make the best decisions. He throws a curveball and makes it for our best. (laughs) There are so many choices we make that have a great effect on ours and others' lives. And I just want to leave you with that last thought. What are you doing with it? Because your life matters. You might not have a voice like you think other people do, or you might not have the platform that other people do, but people are watching you. And there are people that God's given you and entrusted you with. And if you know you're loved and you walk like that, other people will start to believe they're loved. And if you know you have greatness inside of you, even when greatness isn't coming out of you, you can push for more. And other people will do that too because they see you. And if you realize you're never alone, when you face those dark times and those hard times, you can come out of it and inspire someone to do the same because you've realized, I'm not alone. You think Jesus was never depressed? I think he went through some hard times. He freaking sweat blood. 
If you don't know that in the Bible, it's true. And it's an actual disorder that happens through extenuous, extenuating stress. Strenuous stress. One of those words. And I'll just tell you, I've never been in the place in my life where I've sweat blood. I can't even really sweat. But I've been in a place where I've had hard times and I need God. And if Jesus needed God, we do too. And I'm just going to pray for you really quick and then I'm just going to go through a few of these questions. But if you're a person today in this room and you just say, hey, you know what? I want to be able to live in and receive all those things you're saying. And I don't have a right relationship with God. Maybe I have before. Maybe I've said this prayer a million times. But the Bible talks about being born again. You can actually choose to be reborn. At any moment, you can just go, God, I want more of you. Forgive me. And that's what we're going to do tonight. Maybe you haven't been living to the fullness of your greatness. Maybe you haven't recognized who God is in your life and you've gone your own way. And maybe you just need to recommit tonight. Maybe you just want to say it and you want to come into agreement because you know God has more for you than what you're living right now. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if this speaks to you and you want to have a response because love responds with action, and you would just want to, between you and God, say, I want more of that. I just want you to raise your hand right now. It's awesome. Is there anybody else? Okay. I want everybody to say this prayer after me. Everybody in the room, let's just say this together. Say, God, forgive me of the mistakes I've made and come into my heart. Thank you for loving me unconditionally. Thank you for believing in me and never leaving me. I receive you into my heart. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, awesome. You did it. <laughs> That's awesome. So, great. So I'm going to answer some of these questions just really quick, and hopefully that spoke to you and encouraged you. Um, the first one is... Uh, <laughs> It's funny, but it's, like, really relevant and true. The first one is, where is my man? <laughs> well, what I will tell you is if you haven't found him, God's still preparing him and you. Because God never brings you something before it's time. So if you're frustrated, number one, this is from a woman, hopefully, because she said my man. Um, if God does love you and does care about you, which he does, He's not going to bring you something before it's time. The Bible talks about don't awaken love before it's time. Whoa. And what I'll tell you is you can trust God just like you can trust him with your life. You can trust him with who you're going to be with one day. And as a woman, you're not meant to pursue a man. It's not how God created you. It's just not how we were created. You can, but it's not how God created you. God created men to pursue. God created men to find the woman. And I'll just give you an example. I love saying this, but um, Boaz, who was a rich dude, found Ruth while she was working. As you're working, as you're doing what God's called you to do, I promise you he'll find you. I've experienced it. It happens. It's real. And you don't have to fabricate it. One of the things I've learned is uh, if you're justifying a relationship or you're trying to make it work, it's not from God. Okay. Next thing is... Um, how does one not hold their friends too high, too high standards but remain graceful towards them? How does one not hold their friends too high standards? Too, okay, I was reading that wrong. How does one not hold their friends to high standards but still? Okay, got it. Okay, sorry, it just took me a second. I'm like, I'm confused. Um, one thing I would say is the Bible talks about how love leads people to repentance. 
And we're supposed to model mercy and grace. And so you can lovingly challenge someone with your words, but the best thing you could ever challenge them with is your life. Um, if you're living right, if you have fruit, people will follow that and people will respect that. If you're not, they will question how you say you live and not be challenged by it because they don't see fruit in your life. And the Bible says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So don't be double-minded because people won't follow that and people won't respect that when you actually have something to say. If you actually love somebody and you have something to say, before you say it, first of all, say, God, help me to use wisdom when I'm saying it. But second of all, um, I would say, am I living this before I tell someone else to live it? Challenge yourself first before you challenge them because it's easy to judge and point out things, but we don't like doing that with ourselves. So you can hold your friend to a standard, but I would just say make sure you're holding yourself to a standard because it will be a lot easier to give them mercy and grace when you realize you're messed up too. Um, what does the Bible say about drinking? The Bible talks about drinking and all different kinds of things. Um, and I would just say what happens with our generation a lot of times is we look for the gray areas. Don't look for the gray areas. Don't look for what's okay to do. Like, God's word is not about to don'ts. It's about to do's. So this is what you can do. This is what you get to do. I would say, like, if you're a person and you are looking for things that you can do and still be a Christian, I don't know if you're really striving towards being somebody who really wants to follow God. Um, drinking's not bad. It talks about drunkenness being a sin. But I don't know if you want to get close to that line um, and toe that line because if you actually want to be a leader and be an influence in other people, it says don't do things that could cause other people to stumble. And so usually staying away from things that are borderline gray areas are good because most people who have an issue say I can handle it until they don't handle it and they end up in like rehab. Generational curses are a real thing. And as a side note, if you have alcoholism in your family, don't touch it. I promise you, not that you can't break that, not that you can't deal with that, but I don't like... Alcohol itself is not a sin. It's what you do with it, just like money, just like sexual things. Those things, like, hello, grapes were created by God. So if we want to let them rot a little bit and then drink them, whatever, like, <laughs> that's weird. It's wine. <laughs> but, like, here's the thing. I'll just tell you that my encouragement to you is don't look for gray areas and what's okay and not okay because if you're living right, you're not looking for what's okay, is this not okay? Can we have sex here? Can we not? Like, you're not looking for what toes the line. You're looking to honor God in all things, so don't even get close enough to where you don't do anything like that. So I would just say it's a bigger picture question than just what does the Bible say about drinking? Because the Bible talks about living a holy and pure life. And so if it's something that wouldn't be holy and pure or that you would live as an example, because most people in our generation are going from like bar to bar and club to club looking to lose themselves or looking for something that'll numb something and that only lasts for about this much and then you hit the bottom. So I would just say anything that's like a filler or a number or you have to take that to be yourself or it's just fun, like go drink some freaking Red Bull. I don't know, like eat some candy <laughs> in moderation. But like there's other ways to have fun. Some people enjoy it, but I'm just saying like, just think about that because that's a very close line for a lot of people. So love you guys, the end. Thank you for listening to the Love Fiercely podcast. I would love for you to subscribe to personally receive weekly encouragement. Also, check out my blog at KeelaCraftAmbrose.com for monthly content. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at KeelaCraftAmbrose.